I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am thrilled and super, super inspired by our next guest who has an incredible, incredible company that I know you want to know about. Uh, His name is Robbie Bent, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Othership. And it is an incredible story, and not only the company is incredible, but also the reason why he started the company. I'll give you a little taste of it after battling addiction and the challenges of his first company, Robbie discovered all the benefits of meditation and breath work. And now he's sharing these practices and really helping lots of other people actually benefit from what he's been inspired by and learned himself. So in addition to having a physical location currently in Toronto, he is going to be opening some U.S. locations. I'll let him share a little bit more about that. And he has an incredible app that features over 500 breathwork exercises uh, that are just absolutely amazing. So we're really excited to have Robbie here to talk a lot more about really the science behind the breath work and meditation and how it can benefit you. So welcome, Robbie. Thanks, Kara. That was an amazing introduction and super grateful to be here. Yeah, so good. So I'd love to talk to you about and hear a little bit more about leading up to your entrepreneurial journey. What was what was early Robbie all about? I mean, did you always know you were going to open your own business or what did you what did you think you were going to do? No, absolutely not. You know, that's, that wasn't even, I wasn't one of these people like, oh, I was born to be an entrepreneur. And I was trying to do all these things I really um, was pretty insecure as a child. And so I loved money and this idea of, of success. And so to me, like success and money meant, hey, I'm lovable. Mm-hmm. And so my dad worked really, really hard and success was important to him. And so I sort of saw that as my, my role model. And my mom had a lot of anxiety with us as kids. And so it was very important. You know, we went to good schools. We worked really hard. You know, the the track was you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a banker or an engineer. You need to, you know, you need to work hard in life to be safe. And so as parents and, you know, I'm expecting my first child now, there's that, hey, I want my kids to be safe so I don't have to worry about them. And so to me that, you know, was internalized as, okay, if I do well in school and I make money, I'm lovable. I'm good enough. And so really, I just, my, my goal was like, okay, I want to go and be successful. Like, how am I going to do that as fast as possible? And so I went into business because my, my dad's in business. And then, you know, well, okay, if you're in business school, what do those kids do? And I saw investment banking. So I'm going to do that. That's like what the smartest kids do. That's where the most competition is. You know, never really thought like, hmm, that's actually working 120 hours a week. Nobody seems to be healthy terrible environment. They're telling you in the interview, it's a terrible environment. People are rude. Like, maybe I'm not going to want to do this. It was just, you know, this is what I need to do to prove 
that I'm a good person to myself and, and my family and parents and, and friends. And so it was very much a, a fear-based insecurity attitude that kind of drove all my decisions through high school, university, early career. That's crazy. So what was your first job then out of school? Yeah, my first job was investment banker uh, out of school. I was in Toronto and moved to Los Angeles. And, you know, I did two years as an investment banker and then two years at a hedge fund. And, you know, same stories you've heard, like 90 hour work weeks, staying at work the entire night and, you know, having a coffee in the morning and you're still in the same clothes the next day. I remember I came in once and made a mistake in a presentation and my boss like literally threw a stapler at me. And was oh like, gosh. just kind of thinking like, hey, this is normal, you know, and you, you, yeah. you look then too, like, luckily, that job was, and it was, it was lucky for me, because they just pay you more and more each year. And so it's like, oh, well, okay, I'm making four times as much at this job than anything else, I should just keep going. And then there's like, you know, they get you, it's very competitive. So you kind of like, try to get to the next level. And um, during my time there, the Lehman Brothers, subprime mortgages, this credit crisis happened. And the hedge fund I worked at exploded. And I kind of came in one day and they're just like, hey, your <laughs> division's been sold off, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what does that what does mean that for mean? me? And yeah. Yeah. That kind of looked, well, means like you're out of a job. And guess what? There's no finance jobs in California at all now because it's like disaster. And I kind of looked around and was just like, people who were 10 years older, 20 years older, I didn't see anyone I wanted to emulate. I didn't see, and this is a generalization. It's probably not true across all finance or all firms, but I just didn't see a lot of family values, a lot of health and wellness. People were kind of, it just wasn't inspiring to me to go forward. And so I thought, okay, I want to, I want to make a change now. And this is when I got into entrepreneurship, but again, not for the right reasons. I saw, you know, Facebook, I'm using Facebook and hear about Mark Zuckerberg, this kid of my age. And like, you know, if as an investment banker, this guy's going into meetings with sandals and just, it's going crazy. And so right. I'm like, oh, I can, I can do a startup, you know, but it still was the goal was like, I'm going to do a startup to make money. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now. Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie-smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week, too like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off 
plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Which is, you know, at 24 years old, fine. It was very naive, not realizing how much significantly harder it is than what I was doing prior. And so um, found a co-founder in Toronto and then built my first tech startup. And what year was this? This would have been in 2009, 2010, like 2010, yeah. So after the 2008 recession, I mean, you took us through that a little bit. You were, you know, at a bit, it sounds like you were at a bit of a crossroads. So you get to deciding you're going to go and do the startup. And So what was the startup? So we built a telecom platform that allowed you to switch carriers seamlessly to not pay roaming. And so what that means is your, you know, U.S. customer with an AT&T SIM card, we built uh, this virtual platform that you would plug into. And when you went to the U.K., you would automatically get a Vodafone SIM card. And so you wouldn't have to switch SIMs. And at this time it was, you know, roaming was like 10 bucks for a meg of data. Mm -hmm. And so you would travel, use your phone and the bill would be like five grand. And so we went to a whole bunch of angel investors who were spending a lot of money on travel. And we did this man in the middle thing where we'd give them a new SIM card and we would pay the fees and they'd get a text saying, hey, you just saved 95% on this phone call. It would have cost you 
$900 with AT&T, but it cost you 10 bucks. And so that's how he actually drove interest uh, and raised money for the first uh, version of the prototype. And so we actually built that out. And so it works very similar now to Google Fi. And what happened to the company then? So that was a huge journey. So I, I didn't know anything about startups. And so if you're an entrepreneur listening, that's the first step is you just get going. And so I thought, you know, naively, like, oh, I can just figure it out. And this was in Toronto at the time. So I wasn't in Silicon Valley. We were building hardware and software. It was like a really hard problem. And I thought, oh, man, I, I don't know how to do this. I need help. And so we hired a whole bunch of senior people from from telecom. Huge mistake. People from mm -hmm. 5,000 person organizations to like a seven person team. I didn't know anything about lean startup. So it was like, oh, you know, it has to work in iPhone and Samsung. And if someone's going to the US and Mexico and China it has to work in all those countries. And so we built this massive solution, ended up spending, raising and spending $25 million to get it up and running. And like the product just wasn't good enough. You know, it would sometimes break when it went into a phone, which means we couldn't sell it at retail. In some countries, there would be blackout service. And it just would have been by the time we actually ended up getting it built, which was like a miracle that we did, and I'm like super proud of, roaming prices had declined 90%. And wow. so spent two years like working through this, building this thing. And the, and the product was good, but it wasn't great. And so what I learned from that was, you know, if I just focused on iPhone for customers right. in Toronto going to the UK, that one customer segment, and like we built everything, the billing platform, the hardware of the SIM card, the software, and we should have just focused on one thing and rented the rest. And that's just huge learning for me as an entrepreneur of like what, you know, what it means to raise money, what your commitments are, when you should do that, to focus on product first, talking to your customers, which we were just talking a bit about before. Like we kind of had this idea of if we build it and the prices are 90%, you know, decreases, then people are just going to come. Sure. So, Huge learning experience. It ended in failure. It was super hard for me because for two years, I kind of knew it was going to fail or like had this feeling in the pit of my stomach of this isn't going to work. And, yeah. you know, my parents had invested some money. A bunch of friends had invested money. I'd put in some money, everything I had. You know, I had an apartment at the time that I couldn't really afford and was just nervous. Like what happens if this fails? And, you know, a lot of my friends who stay in finance are getting more and more successful. And because that was so important to me, and my identity and I was insecure, like having that uncertainty and doubt for that two year period was just like gut wrenching the fear of failure. And when the company actually failed, you know, had to lay off everybody with take equipment from a data center to put it in another data center to try to keep it going. And, and finally it fails in that moment, you know what it was, it was, Oh, it's so funny. Like failure itself Mm -hmm. isn't so bad. The fear of failure is a hundred times worse. So as soon as, you know, the company failed, yes, there was some period of me, like I had to move back in with my parents in their basement. I was also struggling with addiction, which we can, we can talk about, but I kind of, um, you know, at least then there was hope because it was, mm -hmm. okay, well, this thing that's not going to work, it hasn't worked. Now what's next, you know? And so when you're in a bad situation, oftentimes the fear of the failure is much worse than the failing and then finding hope again. I think that that's a really, really important thing that you just said, and I totally agree. So it's it's a uh, you know we we worry so much about how it's going to look to others, um, right? And and how it's going to feel, and and uh, it's usually much less uh, impactful than we actually ever imagine. And often there's so many lessons that come out of that time too, and obviously. 
I think you being a serial entrepreneur now, you've learned a lot of things. Um, you know, you've got your journey um, and you're actually doing something that you know will actually help a lot of people as well. So not to say that your other startup wouldn't have, um, but I think it's it's pretty interesting. I'm a huge believer too that experience isn't necessarily uh, the thing. Uh, hiring p- overpriced, uh, experienced people from an industry, it it might work, um, but often it doesn't because they're sort of trained to think a certain way and and kind of you're dealing with their journey. Um, and especially we made that mistake in hiring executives from Coca-Cola and uh, Pepsi, and and uh, they were not our best hires, frankly. Um, and and it's uh, created problems um, along the way, created doubts, um, you know, shifted us in certain lanes that we shouldn't have been going in either. And and um, and I think oftentimes that's what happens. You know, it's sort of the big company story versus you trying to change something, change an industry um, more than anything else. But so, so interesting. So you touched on that then where, you know, you moved in with your parents, you were um, in a bit of a dark space. Do you want to talk about that? Like, how did you finally realize this? Yeah. So like this whole time, my mind was on autopilot. So, you know, why do you do what you do when you're in high school and in your twenties? A lot of times these emotions come up, Mm -hmm. they're unconscious and you, you act, you know? And so it was important to me to be cool with my friends. And as I mentioned, to be liked by others. And at the same time, I'm really geared for stimulation. So I love intense work. I love extreme sports. I love new and exciting and traveling and danger and risk and all these different things. And so I I actually loved uh, drugs. And so I really struggled with stimulants. So I would, you know, it seemed like normal behavior because that's what friends I grew up with in Toronto were, were doing. And as we got into the company, I started to get older, you know, to deal with the stress, I would start drinking on a Thursday night for dinner, and then I would disappear for for two days. And so I'd start Mm -hmm. doing coke and wouldn't sleep for 48 hours. And so that behavior, which, okay, fine. And, you know, university was, was was feasible, I could handle it. And, you know, even in finance, it was less so, but I got really into it as the company started to decline. And I just had no outlet and no knowledge of any practices or modalities I could use. And that's what happened. And so it would, you know, this doubt of the startup combined with what you feel like after not sleeping for two days, it's almost uh, suicidal in some cases. And so I didn't know how to quit. I tried, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, I tried Cocaine Anonymous, I tried therapy. And I just couldn't get it across in my mind that like, hey, you just need to quit drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. one, like, this isn't for for you. You know, it isn't for me at that time. And started listening to Tim Ferriss and just realized, you know, in my parents' basement, I, I need to change. I need to change my environment completely. And so I ended up moving to Israel. And in Israel, I learned about Vipassana meditation, a uh, 10 day mm-hmm. silent retreat. And so for many people listening, meditation is notoriously difficult, right? Like sitting down with calm or headspace. I've downloaded it, I've used it a few times. I struggle to make it a daily habit. The really interesting thing about a 10 day retreat is it's two years of headspace in like one go. And so you actually really feel, if you think of it as a skill, you feel what it's like to learn to meditate. And so the the analogy is if you play a guitar and you pick it up and you, you know, you play it once a week, it's not fun. You're kind of, hey, I I suck at the guitar. I can't play a song. And that's sort of what meditation is until you experience something like that. So I did that. And a lot of these feelings of why I needed to be successful, to be loved, 
they start to become conscious. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. am I really making the best decisions? Because in your day to day, you just get up, you're fighting fires. You know, your kids need to go to school. You've got 50 things to do. What about your finances? What does this person think? It's never ending. And so you're just on autopilot. And so that was the first time in my life where I took 10 days, 10 hours a day meditation, no phone, nothing coming in. And you go a bit deeper of, hey, maybe, you know, I was actually responsible for this and I can change it. And at the retreat, I also learned about psychedelic medicines. And so I tried those as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what really was the catalyst to realize like, hey, I, I should, I want to make a commitment to stop drinking. And since that time, I've been sober now, now six years. And that was a big um, catalyst on my path forward. Hiring great employees and keeping them is part of the growth plan for your business. Trinet offers full-service HR solutions tailored to small and medium-sized businesses so you can retain talent and grow. We're talking access to top benefits, help with compliance and payroll, even when your team is remote or out of state, the works. Because Trinet gets it. Your people matter to your business. Learn more about their HR solutions at trinet.com slash podcast. That's T-R-I-N-E-T dot com slash podcast. Trinet. Incredible starts here. Hey, Kara here. We are thrilled you are listening with us, and I hope you're enjoying this episode. I've had the pleasure of interviewing so many amazing guests over the past few years, and there are so many more to come. I cannot wait. And my focus is on entrepreneurs and CEOs, real innovators and leaders who are making a difference. That's what I'm looking forward to bringing you. One of the reasons I enjoy interviewing many of my guests is that I get to learn. We all need to hear stories that teach us to be better, inspire us, and help us get through those challenging moments. I can't remember the last time I had a guest that didn't leave me feeling like a major hurdle had been overcome. We just don't hear these stories enough. And when we do, we learn to be smarter and stronger. Don't you agree? Episodes are concise but packed with amazing info that you will surely be inspired by. Do me a favor and send me a DM and tell me what you think about each interview that you get a chance to be inspired by. And if you are so inclined, please leave one of those five-star reviews for The Kara Golden Show on one of your favorite podcast platforms as well. Reviews really, really help. Now, let's get back to this episode. So you came back then from Israel and changed, sort of understanding yourself a little bit more. And then you need to get a job, right? You need to go and figure out what you're going to do. I mean, where was sort of your head at this point? And is that how Othership actually started? Yeah, so two things happened. So so one, which was really interesting, was the person I went into the psychedelic retreat with was really into crypto. It was a friend of mine from school. And he had just mm-hmm. said, hey, there's cool stuff happening in Silicon Valley. You should come out and check it out. It's, it's called Ethereum. It's a, the small like cryptocurrency. It's, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so that was a step change in me thinking of, I want to do something to make money and be successful. I just thought in my mind, okay, this time with what I've learned about myself, I'm going to just be around good people. People that are my age, that are hungry, that are like really interested in what they're doing. And when I went out to San Francisco, like just fanatics about crypto. And I I started being, wow, these people are so smart. You know, you had like professors from Stanford and, you know, people from all the leading tech companies. And I was a bit starstruck of, wow, like 
look how passionate these people are about this technology. And so I ended up um, just, you know, sleeping on his couch, going to tons of events night after night, really like talking to thousands of people in that space to try to understand mm-hmm. what was happening. And it led to a job at Ethereum early on, uh, building community, working on grants, which then, you know, rapidly exploded. So when I started, I think Ethereum was, you know, kind of sub $6. And there's just been a meteoric rise to, you know, largest smart contract platform in the world. And within a two-year period, I went from like absolute low. And a lot of it was, was luck, you know, just making a, making a right choice, trying to follow my, my gut. Yeah. To all of a sudden, like I'm working with my heroes, I'm around the smartest people, I'm living in Berlin and San Francisco, I'm going to all these events. It's so exciting. Everybody is like such high integrity because it's a new space. There's so much innovation. Financially, I'm doing super well. I met my wife. And so I kind of, you know, tied all of that back to meditation and psychedelic work. So I did daily practice and, you know, I was sober and because I felt I went inward and and did those practices myself. It like changed my whole life. So I got really passionate about teaching people, you know, practices that were going to help them uh, make behavioral change as well. So cool. So how did that then ultimately, I mean, did you, did you stop working at this point to decide I'm going to go do my own thing? Or I I mean, what was kind of the, the sort of crazy, like just such a wild story. So I, you know, my wife and I, we go to bathhouses. So in, uh-huh. you know, San Francisco, we were talking about Archimedes. That's what we would do mm-hmm. on the weekend because I didn't want to be around alcohol. Our first date, she's a dietitian and she loves Rhonda Patrick and is like, hey, I, like there, all these people are talking about the sauna and the ice bath and like the longevity benefits. Like, let's, let's go try this. And I was like, well, okay, that sounds like a cool date. So that was our first date, second date. And we're like, wow, like with such a good conversation, no phone, just really connecting, especially on those first dates, there's like a bit of nerves, you know, people Mm -hmm. reach for alcohol. And because we connected so deeply, we started going every week, bringing friends. And I noticed something about the ice bath. It, it, you know, what I found out later, it triples neuropinephrine in the brain, which is Mm -hmm. a neurotransmitter responsible for like mood, attention, vigilance. So you are in a meditative state, like everything just fades away. And so I was like, wow. This is like, you know, all my friends are struggling to meditate, but this is kind of meditation on autopilot. Like what is happening here? So I got, you know, went down a research hole, started, did the Wim Hof training, went to a bunch of his events. And he's this like crazy guy who's like the, the, the ice man, they call him. And, you know, he's, he can do three hour ice baths and like ran marathons in the Arctic Circle. He's a, a legend. Yeah. And I started my, my water and my house didn't go cold enough. And so we built me and a, you know, three of my best friends and my wife built an ice bath in our backyard. And we just started having people over every night for fun with like an ice bath and a fire. And at that point we noticed, wow, something really special is happening here. Like people who normally struggled to meditate are like getting into the zone and letting go and feeling amazing. And, you know, people started becoming friends, dating, you know, getting married. Wow. And all of a sudden that backyard turned into 300 people in a WhatsApp chat coming every single day to use a space. And we're like, whoa, this is crazy. This is crazy. And, and then so it becomes winter. We live in Canada at this point. And so we're like, oh, I wonder if we could turn our garage into a space. So we put a sauna, an ice bath and a tea room in the garage. And that through word of mouth grew to 2000 people coming like residential streets, like every day, 40, 50 people coming in. And I kind of saw that. I was like, well, this is really cool, but it's still a, a side project. It was just something I did because I'm really passionate about the hot and cold and, and the breath work I had learned in teaching it to people. And then COVID hit. 
And so that was a whole thing where we, you know, obviously we had to shut down. And so the breath work that we had learned and were teaching in classes, we started doing online and just for free, you know, saying like, Hey, people are struggling, come to this thing. And what people started asking for was, you know, I'm really feeling isolated. I want to party with my friends. So we would make electronic music, these really great DJ sets. My partner's a musician. Mm-hmm. And we put them on Friday night, have everyone do a breath work and kind of like move and dance. And the responses were so strong. Like it grew from 20 to 50 to 100 to 500 to 1,000 people joining. And then people asking for the recordings, which we put on YouTube. And that so became cool. a course. And then the course did 100,000 in sales. And then people were like, hey, I use this every day. Can you make it into an app? And so family business, no experience building a direct-to-consumer product. My wife was just like, I want to do this. I want to learn it. Took total control, designed this entire amazing app. And then my two partners made all the content. So we scripted everything. We made the music, added the breathing. And with the goal to make it fun, like make make wellness accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you, you know, you can listen to this music where it feels like you're listening to your favorite Spotify set but then you're breathing along to it to create state change. And that's sort of the difference between meditation and breath work is awareness, which is difficult for people versus um, state physiological state change. So pushing the gas pedal in the nervous system for energy or pushing the brake when you know you need to relax after work or get ready for sleep. And then things just really exploded from there. So how, how long was your the first time you went into the ice bath? So like the first time that you hopped in? Because I think to people who have never done it, it seems very daunting, right? Like, why would I do that? You know, and and like how I don't think I could handle it or I'll have a heart attack, right? <laughs> you know? I honestly, the like 95% of people are nervous. And so if you thought the, the average person, it's, hey, this is cold. I hate the winter. I'm not going to like this. I don't like cold water. What's the point? And so we really start by explaining the why. And so hot and cold therapy, hydrotherapy is the number two thing you can do for longevity and and health span after fasting. And so if you think about it, you're putting stress on your body, your body's becoming stronger. It's called hormesis. It's very similar Mm to uh, exercise. We train our bodies, our body gets stronger. So through hot and cold, we're training our vascular system, reducing inflammation, boosting our immune system by 2x, boosting our metabolism. So it's very just important that people understand the why. So it's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. It's scary. It's only scary for the first 30 seconds. And what we teach you is when that fight or flight response hits. So 30 seconds in, you're like, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. And we start to teach you to use your breath to slow the exhale, to move your nervous system from fight or flight into rest and digest. takes about 30 seconds to a minute. And you hit this bliss point where you're like, wow, this actually isn't that cold anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Okay. Like, I'm in a meditative state now. And so what happens is over time, the more you do that, you're not in real danger, but your mind is in perceived danger. And so it's a very similar response to anger, anxiety, you know, but when that stuff comes in your normal life, you can't really train for it, right? Like you're angry, it's too late. And so what you're teaching your body is when that fight or flight happens, you know what it feels like and you can use your breath to slow down and so you don't react. And so you're building emotional resilience. And so when we find we teach people that, explain it like, oh, I get it. Okay, it's going to be hard. I'm going to catch my breath. One minute in, I'm okay. We use sound bowls, essential oils, intention setting. And I've seen, you know, 75-year-old couples come in, go in together first time, no problem. And I would say probably 95 out of 100 people end up making it through the two minutes. And 90 of those 95 are nervous. 
Yeah. And then when it's done, you feel like, wow, I accomplished this in a group. Everybody's high-fiving and you feel alive. Yeah. And so two minutes is like the first first round and then and then you get people moving up to what point? Usually just two, honestly, like two there there becomes this battle of oh, I've done two, like you do three, but it there's not really significant benefits after. So we don't it's very non-competitive environment. It's hey, you know, one minute you're going to start to feel the benefits. That second minute is when you can really get deep into a meditation. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's great. Like you've made it, you know, so two minutes is just sort of the, the goal at all times. And your app is amazing, by the way. So it's, uh, it's so great. And just the breathing and the, the music and everything about it is just absolutely terrific. What do you think is like the toughest part of starting this company i have an idea but i i uh you know i'm just so curious what you would say is really the hardest thing and what you maybe lose sleep over as you start to think about building this company so one the first was getting people on board and Uh so we had you know like if i say hey you know one thing we just didn't touch on is the garage has now during COVID become a, a space itself. And so we've built out a 50 person sauna, four ice baths, a tea room, and it's a, cl- a space for classes. And people are like, what do you mean classes? You know, what's a sauna class? They've never heard of it. And I'm seeing in the garage, you know, we'd have a class on anger and we'd have mm-hmm. six people come in and you'd share something you're angry about. You'd go into the sauna, the lights would go out, you know, music would be playing and you would scream as loud as you can to release anger. And that's a common psychotherapy technique that's used. Mm-hmm. And so there's like science-backed evidence. This is great for, you know, f- feeling anger in your body and releasing it. And so the results for that were so powerful. And I saw people who were struggling with addiction, were struggling with anger, like change their lives. And so I knew that like this, this concept of like emotional regulation, hot, cold, and breath is extremely powerful. But telling that people are like, what are you talking about? Like you have a garage, yeah. It's not even an app. It's like you're doing Zoom classes and I'm, I'm, you know, so excited because this changed my life and I've seen it change hundreds of people's lives. And so that was really challenging to, like, even my friends, I'm like, hey, do you guys want to invest? We're opening this thing. Nobody invested except for one friend, the same one who got me into crypto who like yeah. he knew he like, I see what you believe in. And so that was the hardest part was without an actual space sharing yeah. and without the app, like sharing the vision of how powerful these things were. So that was like, you know, I had hundreds of calls and punches in the gut every time people are like, I, I don't believe in this. And, you know, but we just stuck with it and focused on our customers of like, okay, I can see the change in these people and how pumped they are and how much they want to be part of the community. And so just watching that made me care, made us care so much about building an amazing experience. And now we have the opposite problem. So we opened three months ago and people who are heroes of mine in the health space, you know, Ben Greenfield and Dave Asprey are using our, our app. And it's just so clear how much energy went into like every session. Like, we'll just think about a session on forgiveness. You know, we'll read hundreds of scripts. We'll spend every single word placing it at the right time, using the right music to like cue forgiveness. And it's just hearing people and watching them and their experiences is so amazing. But what's hard now is we're trying to build this amazing app and launch a whole bunch of spaces at the same time. And with that many spaces, you can think of like the, it's a hospitality experience, right? And so when you come in, right. what is your experience at the door? You know, are you greeted? And, and these experiences are so deep. Some are on fear release, anger release. Like you're going, you've got to create an environment for people that are safe. 
And so when the owners aren't there, how do you make sure a 10 out of 10 for, you know, all 200 people that day, they feel safe, they feel welcomed. The facilitator explains these like complicated concepts in the same way that the founders could. And then how do we now do that across multiple cities at once? So the biggest problem now is just maintaining product quality and passion with the next, you know, 30 people that we bring on to kind of scale out. Yeah, no, I think that the experience is uh, is definitely uh, such a big deal. I know a friend who had opened um, Kimpton, and you know, we talked about that too. It's like you know, they're a big company now, and and uh, not private anymore. But it's like you know, how do you replicate that experience and and uh, and really grow in a way that makes the consumer uh, can know that it's a consistent experience. So it's uh, you're thinking about it absolutely correctly. But I also think you touched on the education of this. It's like, you know, it's it's a scary thing, right, at first to a lot of people or breath work. I don't have time to breathe. Like, why would I do that? I, you know, like all of these things going through. But I think when you capture the consumer that has gotten it, you were the consumer first and you get more of those stories out there. I think that that's a really powerful thing for people to hear um, about those and and understand the changes that they can see uh, from it. And I think definitely over the last five years, I mean, you and I touched on, uh, you know, how there's other things that are kind of like it that are launching, but they're not exactly. I mean, that just increases the, you know, the understanding, right? So you don't have to do as much education as I always say to people that it's uh, even when we were launching our product hint. Nobody understood, like, why do I need a unsweetened flavored water? There's these diet drinks out there, and it seems so apparent to me that people should be giving up diet sweeteners. But it was, um, I had the same thing where friends were like, I don't know, I, I really like my diet soda. It's just fine. And they didn't get it. Now they're like, oh my gosh, I should have listened. I, uh, to what you were doing, and I had no idea. And so being a visionary entrepreneur is, uh, it's a thankless job, right? And it's uh, it's hard, and it's uh, it's a lot of what I talk about in my book as well. Just getting over the doubts and the doubters, um, because those increase, especially as you start to, um, you know, try to get the product moving and out there. So anyway, I think it's uh, really incredible what you're doing and what you've done and your experience, obviously, and shutting down a company, even though I'm sure that was hard before. That that's. Uh, that's just learnings uh, for this next one, for sure. So you've done multiple startups now. Uh, what is success for you? Like, I mean, when you think about what you want to get out of this, I mean, obviously launch in the US, you're getting ready, hopefully to launch in New York and Los Angeles. And and uh, I can't wait um, for them to, for your business to come to the US. But how will you know that you've succeeded? It's a really hard question is I think there's this issue of like enough, right? Like what is enough? Yeah. Like to, to some degree, this was never meant to be a business. It was something we're just really passionate about and started with us helping, you know, our neighbors as a way to hang out because it's something we yeah. wanted. And so now we have this beautiful space, first of its kind in North America, you know, all these things I thought would make me super happy. It's in the newspaper. It's on these podcasts. It's like, it's a bona fide success, yeah, you know, like it's, it's there. And so part of me still like wants to now do it in the U S stage. It's as a 
small town Canadian kid, can I like go to the big city and make it? Like that's the, yeah. the dream, right? It's like I go to New York and make a successful business there. So there's there's that driving me. But I know once that happens, there's nothing, it's not that fulfilled. It's not like long-term fulfilling. And so I think what I'm trying to wrap my head around is is what drives me the most. And the reality is being in the space with customers. Like if you came to Toronto and you're like, hey, I want to come do this. And we went to one of my favorite classes, the pride of like walking you through the check-in, the smells in the space, the feeling of the tiles on your feet, the feeling of the fire, the perfect music playing, the lighting, and just watching your smile and thinking you're getting one thing when really it blows your mind. And it's such a much deeper experience. And watching and then connecting with you, doing that, I will never get tired of that. So for me, it's just continuing to make this experience better and better and more fun, more people bringing them in and just watching their faces, like making that impact because that's healthy motivation. And it, you can feel it. Like we're having a, our first party for all people who've been more than 25 times. And Mm -hmm. the goal was if you come, you know, to the space, I can guarantee your mind is blown. Like we have just five-star reviews on Google left, right and center, but the real magic moment happens if you make a new friend. And so we came up with this idea to have this free party, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. with this idea that like partying can be sober and healthy. And so we invited all our customers in. We're gifting them all with um, specialty hats if they've been 25 times. So they know who's been 25 times and specialty robes for those who've been 50. So, you know, like, whoa, those are OGs. And then we're driving everyone into a community chat. So like they become friends. And the idea that so many people like me who are struggling with alcohol and looking for their community of other health-driven people, like entrepreneurs, people into meditation, athletes, biohackers, where do these people go at night, you know? And so to see that unfold and see the friendships, that I think will continue to be impactful. And so I'm really trying to just not be driven by ego. And like, you know, if you hear a competitor's opening, you're like, oh no, like they're going to get to it before us. And that's there for sure. That's like that insecurity piece of me that like, you know, I'm still struggle with, but I'm really trying to lean into just the impact, the feeling, being in the space. Like if I, you know, this business is so different than those first ones because I can get strength. I can just go in the space and talk to people. And anytime I do that, instantly all the overwhelm just drops. And it's like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm around these people. It's helping. And it feels good. And so that's kind of what I, well, that for me is success is just being in that feeling as much Mm -hmm. as possible. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's a, um, you know, the one other thing that I want to say when, when you, uh, I used to think that when competition comes around, I mean, we launched an entirely new category, really, as that's what you're doing, right? You're launching people, there's a lot of education around it, all those things. When people are launching things that are competitive, maybe they're sort of competitive kind of things, that just increases the consumer awareness. And all you can do is focus on you, right? And what you do and making your business better. Um, And I think that, you know, what I always, knowing what I know today uh, and what I share with entrepreneurs, it's focusing on what you can control and then also uh, just, you know, staying alive, right? Like that's the key. That's the key thing because if you focus on what everyone else is doing and all the noise around that, then uh, you'll lose in the end. So. so really, really incredible, Robbie. You are doing like amazing stuff, and I'm really excited um, for everything coming up and the new locations coming to the U.S. soon. So 
uh, other ships app. I mean, just download it from the app store. Uh, anything else that you want to share with people? The Toronto location is open now if you're up in Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. And so if anybody, we have a scholarship program. So if accessibility is an issue, my Twitter handle is at Robbie Bent one and we can put it in the show notes. And if people want to DM me for access, we want to make sure uh, it's affordable. You know, at the end of the day, the really cool thing about your breath is a tool you can just use at any time. And so happy to make that offer to any of your audience um, that might not be able to afford it. And That's... just know that, yeah, you can follow us in our journey. I, I tweet about everything we're doing when we're opening and we're always doing breathwork concerts and events around the U.S. and stuff. So definitely, if this resonates, would love to... A fr friend actually came up, someone I'd never met from Seattle. He'd heard me on a podcast. He drove 25 hours and got an Airbnb for two weeks and came every day because he was so excited about it. And so we'd love that kind of stuff. So if you, this is like, yeah, I love, love this, reach out and absolutely. That's so great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Robbie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Kara Golden Show. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, where we get to interview amazing founders and CEOs like Robbie, who share their stories, uh, lots of disruptors as well that really uh, chat about lessons. I promise I only search out and invite the best um, to come on to share uh, about their challenges, about sometimes their failures and, and what they've learned. So definitely check out the Othership app as well. It's really, really terrific. And you can definitely find Robbie. What did you say your uh, social platforms are? Yeah, so it's at Robbie Bent on Instagram and at Robbie Bent one on Twitter. Perfect. And I'm at Kara Golden on every platform. And also, if you haven't picked up a copy of my book, Undaunted, it's also available on Audible too. And we're here every Monday, Wednesday, and brand new. We're also doing Friday where we get to have incredible interviews just like Robbie's. So thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of the week. And thanks again, Robbie. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.